everyone. Welcome to episode 78 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. We've got two segments for you this week. Kick things off, we have a What We've Been Playing segment with Andy, Neil, and Alex. They'll talk about Lego City Undercover, Luigi's Mansion 2, and Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. After that, myself, Kim, Carmine, and Zach talk about the first installment in the Tropes vs. Women in Video Game series. Enjoy. Hey, and welcome to a segment here on Connectivity, where we're going to talk about Nintendo's relatively new releases, um, pretty much brand new releases. I've got me, Neil Ronahan, Andy Gergen, and Alex Kalafi. Hello. What's up? And we are respectively on the reviews for some upcoming fun new games. Uh, Lego City Undercover, which both me and Andy are reviewing because of a, a shipping snafu. Um, so Andy is playing through that right now, and I reviewed it back for the embargo last week. Uh, I'll, I'm also just about wrapping up Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, which by the time you hear this, our review will have been posted. And, uh, Alex is, uh, Alex, are you completely done with Pokemon Mystery Dungeon? Gates of Infinity? I'm not done, but I have 25 hours in, if that answers your yeah. question. I would say for a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, you, you are done. If this was Shame Jones you'd have about 75 more hours to get into it before you'd write the review. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And then uh, maybe, uh, if time permits, we'll talk a little bit about Harmonite and some other stuff. But let's start off with LEGO City Undercover first. So, Andy, I haven't really gotten to talk to you too much about the game. Uh, what are your thoughts so far, and how far into the game are you? I have put, um, I don't know, I not a, not a ton of time, but something like three hours maybe into it so far, which, you know, for an open world game in the style of GTA isn't isn't that much really. I think the thing says I'm like four percent done. So um, yeah. I don't really know what that means exactly in terms of the scale of the game. The, but the percentage is the percentage is like kind of a lie. Um because at least as far as like beating a single player game, like I think if you were probably I, I'm not one hundred percent positive on this. I think when I finished the single player game I might have been like twenty percent done. Maybe 25. Yeah. And that was, like, with looking around for stuff. I think if you just blaze through the single-player game, it might be, like, 15%. I think I made it through, like, five chapters out of, I believe, 15. So I think I'm probably about a third of the way through the campaign. Wow, you've been a lot more focused than I've been. I think I, I made it to Chapter 5 at about hour 10. I think my my biggest beef with, with the um, structure of the campaign so far is that there's so many cool things to find, and I want to go find all the super bricks, super bricks, because basically the thing that is sort of the the one more, one more, one more. I'll keep playing until I find one more crack in this game. Is the super bricks? They're they're worth um, either one thousand or ten thousand Lego blocks. And is this the, is this the first game that's had you collecting blocks and, and as well as studs? I think it is. I don't. I don't know. I'm not that well versed with Lego games. The last one, the last Lego game that I played was Harry Potter one. And there wasn't anything like that in there. So this game has you collecting I think both. I, I think I played Harry Potter 2. Okay. The last one I played. Uh, this game has you collecting both blocks and studs. And you use the studs to buy things, but you use the blocks to uh, build the super builds. And there's like, God, 80? Was there 80 or was there... Was there... Uh, it might be. I, think, I feel like it's 90-something. Okay. There's like these 90 little pads that are uh, scattered throughout the map. And when you find them, you can build various things. And some of them are very specifically story-based. Like you need to get this many blocks to progress through the story because you have to build a to specific build like a, thing. build a boat. Yeah, I think 
I I had to build a dragon to melt an ice sculpture where there was a key trapped yep. inside. Um, most recently, but then a lot of them are also uh, you can use them to uh, summon vehicles. They're like little. There's also yeah. The, I think that. I want to say there's probably like 20 of those throughout there, where it's basically you just go there and you can get a vehicle that you have unlocked throughout right. the game. And so, like, you, the super bricks are the key to getting those those stations built, but a lot of those are gated behind abilities that you have to unlock through the campaign. And so when I realized that, like, I think fairly early on you have to, you have to build a super build to get to a prison island, and I decided at that point I was going to take a break from the campaign and just go hunt down a whole bunch of super bricks. But the first, like, four that I found, I couldn't yep. get to. And I was like, well, this is really annoying. So at that point, I kind of, like, just stopped trying to really even explore the overworld. And I thought I'd power through a good three or four more chapters of the campaign first so that I could unlock abilities that would allow me to get more of the things I wanted to get when I was exploring the city. And I think I'm kind of getting to that point now. I've gotten f- four, I think, of the... What? Eight, I think there's there's nine. Eight, I think eight. Okay. Eight or nine. Well, I think it might be eight and then civilian. I've gotten. I think the miner is the most recent one that I got. Uh, the miner. Yeah, because there's can, the miner, the crook, the cop. Yeah, and it's I mean, it's really great. I'm I'm loving the game. I I think it's really well assembled. I mean, like I said, I have a little bit of an issue with gating all those all those collectibles behind abilities, but I get it. They want they want to drive you through the story, but at the same time, like it does kind of put up a little bit of a wall for you wanting to do too much exploring. Um, I do think the world is really impressive. It's a really nice looking and nice playing uh, open world game. There's lots of cool little touches, uh, lots of inside jokes, and it's just a well-assembled map. I'm having a lot of fun exploring it, and the, the cutscenes are fun to watch. Like, There's not a lot about this game that doesn't impress me to some extent. Um, the load What times. about the load times? Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know, I think maybe because I heard I heard about them before I saw them, they don't bother me too much. Like I went in thinking, oh god, low times, and they were they are long, but they do give you a progress bar, so you know exactly how much longer it takes to get through it, which is nice. Even though they they make fun of progress bars like an hour into the game, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I think I think I was a little I was like prepared for the low times, so they didn't bug me quite as much as they seem to bug other people. Well, then I guess I, su- I, I succeeded in what I wanted to do, was warn people about it and be like, the game is really yeah. good, except for this one thing. Yep, yep. I think, like, I, I'm really curious how the load times are for the for the version you have installed on your hard drive. Yeah, I wonder if they're better. Or or your internal memory, I guess. Yeah, I haven't seen any direct comparison. I, I saw a couple people on, on the internet, like, calling out for someone to do a direct comparison. I feel like they've got to be better, but I don't, I don't know. I um, I'm glad I, I'm. Whoa, uh, I'm not I'm not bugged by the load times too much, and I'm really enjoying the rest of the games quite the rest of the game quite a bit. And I I kind of I kind of can't wait to just get to the point where I can explore things and not have to worry about the, the getting all the different abilities. Uh, but the the cutscenes are really just just great. I absolutely love the cutscenes. Yeah, they look great, and they have a lot of jokes. It's kind of funny because the humor almost seems like mired in like 1990s humor. Which I don't really mind, but I feel like uh, I don't know. Like there's there's some really deep like Shawshank Redemption jokes. It feels very much like The Simpsons to me. There's a lot of Simpson style gags. I feel like, and some of it's some of the sort of that same parody kind of thing that The Simpsons do from time to time. But uh, it's like lot... Simpsons Hit and Run. I haven't played Simpsons Hit and Run. I bet it's, I bet it's, it's fun if, though. If if you like this game, um, it wouldn't. I mean, obviously it's kind of dated at this point. I think it's a decade old, but right. that's a really well done game. 
Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton to say about this game because I'm not that far into it. I guess I, I thought I'm a third of the way through the campaign, but I, um, yeah. the levels have been varied. I've been to a prison island, sort of like an Alcatraz area. I think they called it Albatross. And then yeah. I've been to an underground mine. I just did a, a, a like a, a hand-to-hand combat training mission, which was actually kind of cool. The combat, the hand-to-hand combat in this game, it's still very Lego, as in it's not at all difficult. But they have you doing kind of cool-looking things. Like, there's a lot of kung fu moves for Lego dudes in this game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's very simple. It's very simple, but they do it in a way that it doesn't get super repetitive. Right. And I think, you know, even before you go to the little kung fu area and learn additional hand-to-hand combat techniques... You're still like flipping dudes left and right. Like Chase McCain is clearly not unable to take care of himself, which is odd because there's a story point a couple hours in the game where you get your ass kicked, and it's like really because I'm kind of a like Batman <laughs> over here already. But I, I only thing this game doesn't have that I really wish it did is is off TV play. Like I know having the map is is kind of nice, um, and it kind of has the same thing as Zombie U where they put the game pad into the game to make it feel more like you're the character, I guess. But I would trade all of that. I'd, I'd trade the mini-map, all of that, for uh, for off-TV play. Honestly, like, I feel like for a Wii U game, there has to be a really damn good excuse to not have off-TV play. Yeah, for, and I think personally. Zombie U kind of presents that excuse a lot more heavily than this game does. It does. I, I think Zombie U still could have had off-TV play. They would have just, you know, picture-in-picture would have would have serve the same purpose. And when that game inevitably gets ported with a different name to 360 and PS3, I'm sure that's the technique that they'll use. Um, I think, I, I honestly can't think of a, there's very, very few reasons that I would not have off-TV play in, in the, the Wii U game that I would make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I dug I dug Lego City a, a whole bunch. Um, it's, it's the kind of game, though, that I don't think I'm going to explore that much past it, like, well, I mean, I sent the, the review copy to you, so I cannot right now, but I don't think I'm going to go out and rebuy it I, I find it for very cheap. I feel more compelled to explore and collect things in this game than I have in any other LEGO game I've ever played, for what it's worth. I, I, I agree to that. Because there's been tons of collectibles in the past LEGO games, too, and I think because everything is sort of gated into these little stages, I don't really want to replay it, but this is mostly into an overworld map. And there's some stage stuff, too, um, but... A lot of it's just in the overworld, and I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Lego City Undercover is out now, 50 bucks. Go check it out if if you think it's your bag. Alex, are you at all curious about this game? You know what? I was, like, two E3s ago. <laughs> and then I realized that, uh, like, I at first I thought, you know, I love GTA, GTA 4, one of my favorite games, and I also kind of really like Lego Star Wars 1 and 2. Uh, like, you know, open-world games are just a dime a dozen now. I It's hard to care, since every LEGO game is the same, and they keep getting released every eight months. I don't know if an open-world is going to change <laughs> it that much. I think eight months is generous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, LEGO Batman 2 Lego Batman Two is hitting Wii U in June. LEGO Lord of the Rings came out in November. I think LEGO Batman 2 on the other systems was before that. I think, honestly, I, I felt the same way for the most part, except for I like the open world structure. And if it wasn't, if it was any other LEGO game at this point, I would have lost interest. Like, I haven't played, I mean, I reviewed LEGO Harry Potter 1, but aside from that, like, I haven't played a LEGO game in a, a long time. I think I played the demo of a couple of them, but 
the 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 level based structure got really really tired for me. I think I really I really really enjoyed the first Lego Star Wars, but in the second Lego Star Wars, the stages were like twice as long, yeah. and I learned very quickly that a little bit of Lego goes a long way. But I'm really enjoying this, I think, because the structure has changed up. And on top of that, I I'm starting to realize that voice acting does make a big difference when the presentation is sort of a key part of the of the of the package. It was cute with Star Wars because they didn't. I mean, everyone knows the story of Star Wars so much. You don't need voice acting. It might have ruined it a little bit. I think they learned in Lego Batman and Lego Batman Two when they added it to the second the second game that if it's not based on a story everyone really knows, you kind of need to have the voice acting to complete the presentation. Yep. And I've heard that Lego Batman Two does a, does a lot of the things that Lego City Undercover does well as, as far as like the open world goes and kind of having that exploration, but still having good story progression. So I'm actually mildly curious to either get that on the cheap or maybe check it out on Wii U when it comes out. Um, so the next game that we're going to talk about is Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, which I've been playing through, and I guess I can kind of go hog wild on this since the embargo will be up by the time this goes live. Um, it's really, really good. It's, I mean, it's Luigi's Mansion, similar mechanics. I mean, obviously there's no second stick. It, it doesn't support the Circle Pad Pro at all. Uh, but I don't really think the game loses that much from it. It definitely loses a little bit because you have a little less control, but the game's kind of built around only having access to one stick. Um, you know, you vacuum and all that jazz. You have the, the strobe, the strobe, the strobe, or the strobe light. That, that's how you stun ghosts this time. And then you also have the dark light device, which kind of reveals hidden passages. And those are kind of the new mechanics that they, they show off. And the way that the game's structured is it's level-based, but it's level-based in different mansions. So there's five different mansions that you go through. Each one has uh, five stages and a boss. But the way the progression goes through that is it's almost like the end of each level or mission is just like a checkpoint. And then, you know, because uh, they have the whole thing with the, the pixelator, if you remember from all the promotional stuff, how, like, Luigi will get pixeled in and out of areas. Like, basically, like, you, you're, at, you're at your base, you pixel in, you go to a certain point, then, like, Professor Regad will be like, oh, wait, now come back, unload your unload your vacuum, and then I'll give you your next mission objective. And then you go back and go into usually around the exact same place that you left off. And, I mean, it's really fun to explore the different mansions because it is... I mean, things are gated at times, but they, you know, change them up from level to level, so it's slightly different, and sometimes, like, the environment almost completely changes. Um, right now, I'm in the, the fourth one, which is an ice mansion, and they have stuff where, like, you'll go back to an area, and it'll be completely frozen over, and then you need to figure out how to how to melt it, and then it'll go back to how it was before. So, let me ask you this about it. Uh, I played the original one, like, last year for the first time. Yeah. And one of the problems I had was that because it's such a big mansion with so many things in it, it ended up being a little bit obtuse after a while because there was so much backtracking, but you weren't necessarily sure where to backtrack. Does this sticker star sort of level uh, design, does that no. discourage no, that? No, well, like, hearing you say that is just like, I feel like there was a meeting with Next Level Games and Nintendo where someone brought up that as a complaint, and then they kind of fixed it in this game. Um, because, the, because how the, the levels are mission based, you kind of go in and you have like a focus path. Sometimes they even just block off like places where you can explore. And usually, you know, 
okay, if you go off the beaten track, you might find, like, they have hidden booze in each level, or they have these gems, uh, like, littered throughout the mansions. Um, and sometimes you'll go off the beaten path, and you'll find a, you know, a boo or a gem. Um, but usually, you're kind of funneled, in a way, to go through to the objective. Um, oh, and that's there will cool. be awesome puzzles along the way. And that's why I, I really like the way that they have the, the stages broken up. Because then it also makes it real easy to, oh, I didn't get the boo in that area. I can just go back and replay that stage as opposed to, like, you know, in the original Luigi's Mansion, if you didn't get something in a certain area, you might have to just replay the whole game. It works a lot, a lot better for a portable experience. So is it kind of a bummer at all that you have uh, levels instead of a mansion? Just like, at least how it was in Sticker Star, yes, it did make it more suited to a handheld and a little bit easier, but at the same time, like, as a Paper Mario fan, I really liked having an open world. Did you really like having an open world since you're a Luigi's Mansion fan of some um, kind? I think it's, I think that's a little, I, I mean, I never really thought of the Sticker Star comparison, but I think it's totally applicable. And it would have been really weird if these games came out, like, in the same month or something. Right. Um, because I would also say that Paper Mario is more history for this, whereas Luigi's Mansion has, like, a game in a mode in Nintendo Land. Yeah. Um. But I, I don't really have any disappointment at all, because like I said, that the way that they structure the levels, it's not like Paper Mario Sticker Star, where you have, you know, separate individual levels. It's just like you have, you know, five stages and a boss fight in one mansion, and that mansion, more or less, you know, it's, you're exploring the mansion throughout those stages. They, they really, they could have removed the, the stage designation, and it wouldn't have made, like, they would have had to do like a little tweaking to have it make sense, but it still would have worked. No, all right. In in essence, the end of the stages are just like you found a save room in a Metroid game. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it works. Like it works way better than I thought it would be because I was kind of reticent of that going into it. Um, like I, I mean, it's it's not it, at least at least for me personally. I mean, I guess I can say I, I'm probably going to give it a nine out of ten at this point, that that could change between now and, and when I when the review goes up and this gets posted, but I doubt it will. Um, I mean, it doesn't quite do that, like, the, the, the fucking amazing stuff on 3DS that, you know, like, 3D Land and Kid Icarus did for me. Yeah. But it's it's just, it, it's what I wanted out of this game, and it works so well. Would it be spoiling to ask if there's a decent, like, replayability or post-game for it? Um... I guess, uh, cause they kind of show this off, like, when you beat the first area. But if you find, there's a hidden boo in each level. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you find all of them, then you unlock another stage. Uh, and those oh. stages are usually pretty cool. Um, and then there's gems in each one, which that's kind of more like, uh, collecting all the star coins in a Mario game, where it just puts, like, you know, a star in your profile. Um, yeah. and then replaying the stages, like, they do have high scores and stuff like that. But outside of getting all the collectibles, you know, to be a completionist or unlock the extra stage for each of the five mansions, then there's not that much replayability. But it's still, it's, it, I've actually found myself kind of, I mean, especially now, because they have, I forget the exact number, I think it's like 10 to 15 gems in each, in each mansion that you can find. And that's, I mean, there's not that much of a point to collect them outside of being a completionist. But I have found myself going back to replay some of the early stages just to be like, oh, maybe I'll find the boo that's hidden in this one, or find the gems. Oh, right. And the the one thing that I haven't even mentioned yet is the multiplayer, which uh, I went to my local Street Pass Princeton event and uh, played download play with uh, three other people there. And the multiplayer is a is a shit ton of fun because um, it's basically like it's cooperative Ghostbusters. 
Um, it's randomly generated floors of a mansion. And, yeah, you can kind of tell that it's, like, these similar rooms just being, you know, shuffled around. Uh, but it's different enough that it doesn't feel like it's, you know, the same. And, you know, each each map is slightly different. There will be, like, a key in a different room. The ghosts will be located in different rooms and stuff like that. Is it as good as Kid Icarus? I don't think it has quite as much, like, last ability as Kid Icarus. Because Kid Icarus had all the stuff with the weapons and, like, yeah. how you could, you know, customize all this. With this, it's pretty, it's pretty vanilla. Because you're basically just, like, going in, you find some people to play with, and then you play through it. And you can, like, I think the only the only tracking that they have is how quickly you do, like, you know, five floors, ten floors, or 25 floors. Um, but it's still, it's a lot of fun. And, it, I mean, I'm normally not a fan of randomly generated dungeons. Uh, I guess, well, you'll be talking more about that very shortly. Right. Um, but it works really well in the multiplayer. And, I mean, it's it's really fun. And and then they have the three different modes that all feel pretty substantially different because it's kind of like a different focus. Because they have the hunter mode where it's just, you know, you're going through each room trying to suck up all the ghosts. And then after you're done that, then you finish the level or finish the floor. And then they have, uh, like, a time trial one where you're basically rushing through the environment. If you suck up ghosts and or, you know, explore the environment, you'll get, um, like, uh, time boosts. And, like, you start off, I think it's only, like, 30 or 40 seconds at the start, so the pressure's on from the very beginning. And then you need to find the exit, and then everyone needs to get to that room, and then you'll finish the floor. And then the last one's Palter Pub, where they have this cute, uh, this cute ghost dog that shows up in the story a few times. And you have to find, uh, you know, like two or three of him hidden in each floor, um, which is kind of just a, you know, a, a different style of playing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I mean, one kind of neat thing, uh, I guess it's kind of like the, the competitive aspect is that, you know, you get ranked for all the stuff that you collect, you know, all the gold that you get, all the, all the ghosts that you suck up. And then you get, uh, like, GoldenEye 64-esque rewards at the end, where it'll be like, you know, all shook up, you know, I... You know, if you get all shook up, that means you, sh- you know, ship the most furniture. Or I think there's, like, the participator reward where it's someone who doesn't really do much. And then at the end of each floor, like, when you complete the goal, then they'll have uh, the red coin scramble. And then basically four red coins will appear randomly on the floor, and you need to scramble to go get them. And if you get all four, then you'll get, like, a there will be, like, a a, uh, a spinner that will then have... Uh, someone will get a bonus for the next floor. So if you didn't get a red coin at all, then you're not eligible to be on that spinner. But if you get, like, two red coins, then you have more of a chance than someone else. And those bonuses are like, you know, you'll be able to see any hidden objects without using the dark light device. Uh, you'll be able to see the map. You'll have, like, double health, stuff like that. Oh, wow. This game actually sounds a bit more exciting than it did a week ago. <laughs> well, no, I thought it was just going to be Luigi's Mansion, but more and not made by the same people. But, like, yeah. this game sounds a lot better than the original was. It It is. It really is. And, um, I, I, I mean, I, I think the last time I played the original was, I think it was actually when uh, Radio Free Nintendo did the, the Game Club, which, or the Retroactive, which would have been, I think, two or three years ago at this point. But, uh, I mean, I have fond memories of it. I kind of wanted to replay it before I played Dark Moon, but I didn't get a chance. Wasn't that their first retroactive? I think it was. Uh, I think that was three years ago. Maybe. Maybe three and a half. I don't even know. Um, but I have a feeling if I replay Luigi's Mansion, I'd be kind of disappointed. Because I, I think that this game improves on it that much. I think that's... Uh, Andy, do you have any... Are, are you interested in this game? Somewhat. Not not super. I, n- I never played the original. 
And I loved the GameCube. It was my favorite console, so the original didn't really interest me that much either. But I will probably eventually pick it up just because it's a first-party title on a platform that doesn't exactly get tons of those anymore. So I will probably... I'll probably grab this at some point. Well, what you've talked about sounds fun, um, but it's yeah, it's yeah. it's not something that I'm super excited about. Well, maybe you should just find someone who has a copy and then do the download play, and then you can play the game online. There you go. That's kind of cool. Um, but I guess the only the only thing that's kind of bad about the multiplayer before we move on to Pokemon Mystery Dungeon is that locally, it, it's kind of like that Smash Brothers conundrum. Where Smash Brothers is awesome in local multiplayer because you can kind of like shout at each other and it's it's a real like kind of like community style game. And when I was playing Luigi's Mansion, it was the same kind of thing where we're like, oh no, come into this room, guys, come on, we're running at a time, or like, oh, I'm attacked by a ghost, help. And online, it's not like there's any voice chat. You can use the D-pad to like do like, hey, or over here and stuff like that. But I mean, it's the kind of game that I think if I played a lot online, I'll probably be hopping on Skype or Google Hangout or something to talk with whoever I'm playing with. Voice chat's so important. I I feel like a lot yeah. of people have tried to play down the importance of voice chat in online games because they are apologizing for the fact that there hasn't been a solution on on the platform, you know, really. But at least until we speak, if that counts as a solution, but yeah. it's it is important, like. Smash Brothers Online without without voice chat is it's it's a neutered experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, so Alex, tell us all about Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Gates to Infinity. Okay. So in talking about this game, after Lego City Undercover and Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon, there's a part of me that feels like there's almost something to prove with this game. <laughs> Which no, I think Nintendo carries that mantra too where it's pushing it alongside Luigi's Mansion. Nintendo World Store, the launch event is for both Luigi's Mansion and Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Gates to Infinity. Yeah. And there's that part where this is going to be the one that changes everyone's opinion of Mystery Dungeon, where people don't think it's a piece of shit anymore. It's better. Like, that. that's what I can say. Uh, I like the first one. I didn't really like Explorers of... Time and Darkness, which you gave like a four and a half to. And this one, it's the same roguelike as before, where you go from randomized floor to randomized floor. But what this one does is it takes that gameplay and it streamlines it a lot. It makes it a lot more accessible and it makes it a lot less frustrating to people. Uh, for instance, there's now quick saving on literally every single floor. There is hard saving, like every five to seven floors. And during the story, like with maybe two exceptions towards the very end, every single dungeon is only like 10 to 15 floors instead of the 20 to 30 floors of the previous game in the main story. Uh, the gameplay, it's mostly unchanged. You fight in the same way you fight as Pokemon, but it's a roguelike. Uh, the story is way better than it's ever been before, because it's still generic, it's still friendship, 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 but it has a lot of really nice presentation now. There are full featured cutscenes, uh, everything looks great, and then the writing and characters are surprisingly compelling, even though they're just nameless Pokemon. Uh, you know, it's... It's Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, 
but it's easier now, and you're not going to get angry at it. Like, that's pretty much all there is to say. I like Pokemon, and that there's stuff to do, so I blew 25 hours into it. If you're a slightly more casual Pokemon fan who's always been on the shaky side of things, uh, maybe this is the one you want to give a chance to, and you might not want to shut off the whole series. With that said, people like you and James, who have never been partial to the series, you won't find anything here. Like, that's the most I can say about it. Yeah, I mean, I actually played through the demo last yeah. week when that came out. And it was, I mean, I really actually like the, the presentation of the game. Um, I know some people have complained about how it's not sprites, but for me, I, I like the 3D character models, and it, it just seemed a lot more appealing to me. Yeah. And I got to the end of the demo and was just like, oh yeah, it's that kind of game. I, like, I mean, it, I haven't really played a Mystery Dungeon game since I reviewed Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, holy shit, almost three years ago, or five years ago. Um, and... I mean, it looked really well done, and it looks like stuff like maybe the DLC will add some, you know, a lot of long content, and it'll be a deep game, but I just couldn't really care less about it at this point. Actually, the DLC, because uh, because the game already came out in Japan in, like, December, I think, the Pokemon website, Cerebi, like, already analyzed all the DLC, and it's a lot like Fire Emblem and Mario, where you won't really get that much depth from it, but it's something cool for the people who are actually into it. I played one roguelike for review maybe two, three years ago, uh, Shin and the Wanderer, and I had never played a roguelike before that, and I haven't played one since. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with other roguelikes, but what does Pokemon Mystery Dungeon do differently than other roguelikes to make it Pokemon thing? Is it just literally you play as a Pokemon and that's and that's the extent of it, or are there... Are there significant design components that are changed up uh, because of the fact that you're playing as Pokemon. Well, the comparison I would draw to this is the Pokemon Cross Nobunaga's Ambition that came out, like, last year, where it's still Nobunaga's Ambition, it's still the randomized dungeons, and it's still uh, sort of monotonous gameplay, but it's made for a more casual uh I don't want to say childish, but maybe younger audience. So it basically okay. takes the traditional gameplay. It Pokemons it in yeah. the sense where there's a lot of guys to recruit. Uh, it's all the guys from Unova now, basically. So all the ones from Black and White, mostly. And because it's Pokemon, you can get into that uh, collecting them all sort of thing. But, yeah, it's basically just like an easier roguelike. Okay. I enjoyed... Shinin the Wanderer a little bit, but I don't think I could ever put more than the absolute minimum in to play one of those games. It's just so infuriating after a while. Well, that's one of the good things, because, like, even at first in the story, uh, each floor, like each dungeon, is only about three to five floors, and as it progresses, it only gets slightly longer, until the last dungeon is, like, 15 floors. Uh, now the post game, there is where there is where you're going to find the uh, the 99 floor dungeons, where you just <laughs> shit yourself. Uh. But it's it's pretty tame during the story, and the story's really well written if you're a Pokemon fan. Though I know you aren't, Andy. Yeah, uh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'm willing to bet I would enjoy Pokemon Mystery Dungeon a hell of a lot more than I enjoy Shit in the Wanderer for what it's worth. So I don't think we're going to get uh, 
we're going to get much farther in this because uh, we're clocking in at the half an hour mark. Um, uh, we'll, we'll be talking more about Harmonite next week when we get our reviewer, uh, Tyler, on to talk about it. But I'm, I'm reviewing Harmonite for IGN, and I, I finished that the other day, and that game is very, very good. Um, it's it kind of coming so closely after Runner 2, it, it doesn't really seem as impressive. But for a game in that style, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's really well done, even if it gets kind of frustratingly hard in some bits. How long was it, just quickly? Um, I think I got to the final boss and beat him by, like, the four or five hour mark. And then there's an optional world that you unlock that has really hard stages that I haven't really made much progress in. I've oh, that's not one. bad. Um, so it's looking like probably if, if you sit out for, you know, 100% play all the levels and unlock everything, probably six or seven hours. Um, if you just go through the main story, probably like four or five. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's about it. Any, any final thoughts on, on those games? It's a big fucking week, Neil. Yeah. Um, and we haven't even gotten into Most Wanted You, which probably by the time you hear this won't be $30 on, on EA's store anymore. Oh, I'm so tempted to get that. Yeah, I I was I was looking at it and then I realized that oh wait no I'm getting Bioshock next week so fuck that. <laughs> oh yeah. Never, I, I will never play Most Wanted You because there's so much other stuff coming out. I've already given up on uh, on playing Monster Hunter. Alex, you'll be diving into that for review at the end of this week. Yep. Um, what else came out? Walking Dead Survival Instinct, which that's that's on... pretty much the best game out of all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was I was actually a, a friend of mine was trying to convince another friend of mine to play the Walking Dead Telltale games. And I was just like, oh, you should just get the new one that came out this week. <laughs> and they looked at me funny. I'm like, don't. <laughs> uh, apparently it had less than a year development time and stuff like that. And it looks but like a, a PS2 game. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of excited, maybe, to see some reviews of that game, because I feel like it'll be that Call of, like that Call of Duty game on Vita. That came out last year. You know what's so depressing about it? They didn't even send out review copies for the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the same thing that they did with the Call of Duty game on Vita. Yup. Sometimes Activision knows when a turd is a turd. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is pretty much, uh, if you have a 3DS or a Wii U, uh, this is like the week that you will be returning to to get games from for probably the next two months. So, Enjoy. on a potentially heated topic, the representation of women in video games, or more specifically the Kickstarter-funded online video series Tropes vs. Women in Video Games, and the discussion that project elicited from the video game community from its inception onward. 
I'm Carmine Red, and here to talk with me on these topics today are fellow NWR staffers Kimberly Keller. Hey. Zach Kaplan. Hello. And Scott Thompson. A lot of uh, energy from you guys to start things off. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something funny, but I thought it wasn't worth it, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyways, I just want to give a little bit of background on this for people who may, uh, may not have been following this closely. Um, in May of last year, Anita, Anita Sarkeesian started a Kickstarter project to raise $6,000 so that she could produce a series of web videos. And these videos would examine some of the most prevalent patterns concerning female characterizations in video games. Well, this small project start, uh, set off two things. The first was an explosion of community, uh, of conversation in the community about the general idea of sexism in video games. And in fact, some of the gaming community got really passionate and had uh, an even larger scale reaction to this, uh, as there appears to have been a concerted internet-based effort to degrade, discourage, and discredit Sarkeesian. So basically, as we all know, certain corners of the internet can and do get nasty on occasion. Um, the other thing that happened, though, was that the Kickstarter became a huge success. So Keijin had asked for just $6,000, but when the project closed, uh, there were more than $150,000 in donations from people who wanted to see her do this thing. So apparently, this is a bit of a hot topic. Now, Sarkeesian recently released the first video in her new series, Damsels in Distress Part uh, in in this series, Damsels in Distress Part One, and more videos will be coming later. And we'll be talking about that video in a little bit. But first, I wanted to return to the launch of Tropes First Women in Video Games, and ask everyone what their initial reactions were and how they felt about this project as it got started and evolved. So uh, let's start with you, Scott. When did this thing first get on your radar? <laughs> I'm probably the, the worst person to start with because it didn't get on my <laughs> radar until like everything was done and, and the first video, I don't think it had come out yet, but the first video was like coming out relatively soon, like probably within that week. Um, and that's when I first heard about it. And I mean, it was just disappointing more than anything just to see the, the negative response. Um, I, I don't, I don't know why that is. Like, anytime I feel like gender is brought up, or I guess more specifically sexism in video games, like, there's this huge backlash. Like, people really feel threatened by it. Um, and I mean, this is a perfect example of that. I mean, people don't even want to have the conversation. It's like, they just, they just think you're wrong and that there's no point in it. And you're, you're ruining something that should just be about fun and shouldn't be taken seriously. And, um, I just think that's such a, I don't know, just a bummer, really. I mean, I, I think that's a, a poignant conversation to have, like, in all areas of our society, even in our entertainment. Uh, you know, we spend hours and hours doing this, and, you know, we might not like to think about it, but it does have an impact on us in some way, in some form, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's definitely something I agree with you. We should we should find time to talk about. Um, Kimberly, do you know when uh, when this first uh, popped up on your radar? Actually, about the same as um, Scott said. I don't know why I didn't hear about it earlier, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's something. I agree with him. It's something that's very interesting that people, you know, feel threatened by this. And I guess it is because it's something to do with their childhood and something they hold dear, and they don't want anyone to question it. Um, but I really like what Anita points out in her video. She said, you know, you can still enjoy these games. You just need to be aware they're not 
absolutely perfect. I mean, she enjoys playing them too, and obviously, I mean, I'm a girl too, and I play these games all the time. They're really great. It's just you need to be aware that it's normalizing certain issues that aren't always the best. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you guys. Well, how did you guys hear about it? Like, um, was it through Twitter? Was it through? Uh, was it first the positive side of it that you'd heard, or the negative side? Um, I first heard about I first heard about the controversy. Like, I had a friend tell me, and they were positive about it. But the when they were telling me about it, they were telling me about how surprised they were about all the negativity and all, you know, the insults and things that she's been receiving, which, you know, explains why now on all of her videos she, you know, doesn't allow comments and things because of the attacks she's been getting. Right, yeah, I heard about it on Twitter as well, and it, it was the same kind of situation. It was someone who was in favor of it, basically just, just tweeting how disappointed they were in the, the negative response. Uh, I had first seen it on a site that was not Nintendo World Report, so... I'm not sure if I'm going to name that site, but it's a video gaming site. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> it was, uh, the, well, people will know. It's the one with the lumberjack guy. Oh, okay. Sure. Go Nintendo? <laughs> yeah. I'll go ahead and name it. Go Nintendo. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> That's where I first And was started. this last year, or was this uh, just like like Kim and Scott, just uh, with the release of the first video? Oh, I first heard about it, like, right when the Kickstarter started. That's when I well I read about it I didn't hear about it. Oh okay, so you were you were ahead of all of us then. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Well, what about you, Carmine? When did you hear about it? I I think about the same time Zach did, and um, I'm 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 not sure if it was a controversy controversy first about it or uh the positive. I think it really was the controversy first, which is weird. You know, there I guess her critics came out of the woodwork. But that actually helped spread the message, and I guess that's how I heard about it. And I thought it was really neat. So I I wasn't able to contribute to the Kickstarter, but it was definitely, like, something I was, like, watching from then on. And uh, she's actually gone it's, – it's interesting. I, I subscribed to her YouTube video just, like, today because I'm curious as to what else comes out. And she's done previous videos in this. You know, she's – it's not just video games. Uh, she's done a lot of stuff about movies and film on her YouTube channel, and it's uh, interesting to go back into her past work and, like, say, oh, you know, I can understand, I, on some level, I understand why people are touchy, because I can, I've been in flame wars on the internet, and I can see how, you know, when you get into that state, it's just, like, you get into, like, protective mode, and you just want to protect what you value, but, um, on the other hand, you know, it's. I hope that the the discussion can elevate beyond that. How about you, Zach? Like, were you tracking it uh, since then, or has it sort of not resurfaced up until now? Uh, well, all I can think of right now while we're talking about this, like, I've been kind of tracking it. Like, I had seen it when it popped up online, but right now, when I'm, I think you uh, mentioned that you were sort of disappointed there was no comments on the YouTube. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things I was thinking about. It's just, I know, she, like, she promotes about women and men being equal and how women shouldn't be sheltered, but then she doesn't have the comments. And I understand why not, but because it'd just be all, you know, a bunch of homophobic, sexist people, which is, yeah, it's the internet, but. Yeah, but I guess that's her choosing to abstain from the comments, not someone not someone swooping in to protect her from them. I, I think <laughs> after so much, she's just 
done with it. I mean, how much can you really read? That's just pure, like, negative. I mean, not even constructive, but just, just negative to be negative. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think at some point there were comments there, but uh, because she moderates it, it eventually just got too difficult to keep up with the volume of stuff she had to handle. Right. And, yeah. you know, that was coming in and she, she had to, like, you know, approve or, or, or reject. So I think uh, eventually she just turned it off. And it's, and, I mean, uh, it's just sitting there at the bottom of her work. I mean, imagine, like, writing a book, and then when the book ships and someone goes to buy it, like, at the end of the book, or just all this just nonsense comments, you know? I mean, it's it's unique to the, the internet medium. So I think if you want to turn them off, turn them off. It doesn't bother me at all. I mean, if you have something constructed to say, then write a blog or post something somewhere. It, YouTube comments, I mean, are the absolute worst form of communication. So <laughs> I don't think anything productive is going to happen there, so... Yeah, it's just a shame because, yeah, I mean, obviously you can have, you know, negative things to say. You don't have to agree, but, you know, just the internet being what it is, everyone's just going to have, you know, stupid just slinging insults instead of an actual productive conversation. Absolutely. I think she's probably been told, like, one too many times to go back to the kitchen and make a sandwich or something. Well, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. just just, just she, stupid. Yeah. And, you know, Kim, I wanted to touch on something you mentioned uh, a, a few minutes earlier um, about how... Uh, I mean, Anita points out in the video that, you know, you can still like these games. You just need to recognize certain things that are in them that can be sort of uh, discussed and dissected. And I think that's important because, like, when you look at, you know, like, like let's say literature. So you study, you know, the, the canon of literature. There's a lot of works that people point to that feature, like, things that we don't, we aren't really okay with now, like, like racist or sexist or homophobic homophobic themes, like overtly too. I mean, not even where it, you know it needs to be brought to people's attention. And we and literary critics a lot of times will kind of maybe kind of not focus on that so much because they want to focus on the greater themes of the work, um, which I don't. I think they you know that should be discussed. But the great thing about video games is that we're still in in a place where you know we could get a new Mario game where. Peach isn't relegated to just, you know, as we'll talk about, being the damsel mm-hmm. in distress. Like, these things can be improved um, and corrected, which I think is great. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're a young enough uh, medium to, 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 have the, to get to decide our future. And also, I think because we're part of the tech industry, there's um, a, a lot of, you know, people who want to have these discussions and be more... Uh, aggressive at tackling these topics and be more open-minded. So the culture in, the, I think there's there's a chance of the culture to be a little bit progressive there. Um, I guess we'll see. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it definitely has to evolve. But one thing that I'm happy about with this is that uh, last year there was that other uh, there was this other thing that happened on Twitter, like hashtag One Reason Why, which was another separate discussion about sexism in gaming and uh, in in the gaming industry so it was more like in the workplace or things where people realized it still existed and i think even before this sexism in video games there were some other things where people were talking about sexism like i think there was some flare up in a in a in a tv show that was about a street fighter tournament where there were people were asking if it was appropriate or not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so I, I'm hoping that, like you said, Zach, it's disappointing that the YouTube comments are gone because you sort of there sort of needs to be discussion about this. But I'm hoping that you know YouTube being such a horrible place to have a discussion. Hopefully, these discussions are happening elsewhere, you know, through communities on Facebook and Twitter and in forums and you know, 
maybe even on our site. So, you know, it's 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 an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I, I think that's where you'll find the more worthwhile conversations. So that's where I'm hoping it does transition to. Um, I know I was kind of just poking around reading things online today, and I didn't actually get a chance to read the article, unfortunately. But someone pointed to one, uh, not, I don't know, I guess you could maybe call it a criticism of the video that we'll talk about in a second here, um, pointing out that um, the damsel in distress thing that, that she talks about a lot um, seems, uh, a lot of the games she references are, are strictly Japanese, um, as if maybe some sort of like cultural or, you know, cultural norms might be different there than here. Um, I didn't get a chance to read that. I wish I would have, so I could talk more about that. But I see, I think that's interesting. And whether or not you agree with that, at least it's a, a more productive uh, conversation piece. Than... Yeah, see, that's interesting because I never even, you know, thought about the cultural differences. And, you know, that's something that could be dissected in a, yeah. in a different medium. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, especially, that's a good point, especially when you look at Japan is known for having a lot of sexist things. I mean, anything schoolgirl related it comes from Japan. <laughs> Japan's the only place where you can get used women's clothing items in a dispenser. In porn guess, stores, I guess, yes. I guess that's true. That's yeah. true. But how I know about yeah, that but... stuff, shady reasons. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting because when you have this discussion, it starts to branch out and you have to realize that, yeah, now, now we have to talk about differences in culture between a game that came from Japan, you know, like Bayonetta and a game that, like, mo even modern games, like a game that comes from Japan, for example, Bayonetta and a modern game that comes from, um, the West, I guess, uh, Gears of War, you know, and how they differ and how they want to approach this and, I think I'm I'm actually excited to see her next video. She's only released the first video as of time of as of uh time of this taping, but her next her next video will actually continue on the damsel in distress and talk about modern examples of it. And that's where I hope we see a lot of, you know, uh exploration of Western companies because uh I, I sort of feel like yeah, it's mostly Japan games, but then again, gaming in the eighties and nineties was very Japan dominated on console. Absolutely, yeah. So she was look. This first video takes a very historic view of it, and very Nintendo specific view of it. Yeah, know? and plus, it's, I mean, uh, it, just because the games are Japanese doesn't uh, absolve some of the marketing strategies. Like, I was kind of shocked to see the Ocarina of Time commercial in the uh, in the video, and how you know it, it, it basically challenges you to either get the girl or you know it asks, "Are you going to play like a girl?" And I was thinking, wow, like I mean, this is. Well, Ocarina of Time was like, 98, ouch. right? 97, yeah. 98? And like, I mean, that, that would have been a Nintendo of America published commercial. I mean, that wasn't the, that wasn't the Japanese commercial. So, I mean, I'm just very much surprised. Um, I don't remember that when I was a kid, but yeah, uh, that shocks me. It kind of surprised me too, because also in the girl, like, I mean, sorry, in the game, uh, you know, Zelda is chic and she kind of kicks butt for a little bit. <laughs> so. Right, yeah, for a good chunk of the game. <laughs> yeah, not, that was, that, yeah. Really weird. Well, that kind of advertising, uh, from, even from Nintendo of America, I mean, it's gotten better, but we still have stuff that kind of, uh, well, now it's not deg degrading women like that, but now it's just like trying to, I, I don't know, but did you see the, what I'm trying to talk about, did you see the 3DS advertisements that were, you know, aimed at the female audience and they were like, the ones with America who, 
uh, Herrera and uh, uh, different celebrities, you mean? Yeah, like those ones were kind of, I felt like those are just as bad because it's like, oh, I'm not a gamer because I'm a girl, but I like cooking, so I like this cooking game or stuff like that. Like, I thought that was just as bad. It was basically like telling you yeah. it's an extension of, you know, an iPhone. Like, look at all these cool apps you can have on it. Right. It's like, don't worry, you don't have to be a dork who plays video games. Like, you can design clothes. <laughs> yeah, which is a shame because I know when, like, the Wii and the 3DS, like, I know it was a bit part of their marketing plan to target girls and women because that's obviously a lot of money that hasn't been tapped into the gaming industry. And it was just really surprising that they decided instead of focusing on games for girls and women, they just went a completely opposite direction. <laughs> Yeah, those commercials were weird. I wonder if that'll get brought up at all. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I, I feel like that's almost, I don't know, in a way, almost like reverse sexism in a, in a way. I don't know. I mean, like, they're, they, they <laughs> it feels like their heart's in the right place, but I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's a, it's a problematic stereotype, you know. It's, it's, it's tying people into roles and saying you can't act outside of those roles. Right. Yeah. It's so, kind of like, and, and, the, the thing that made me sad was Nintendo did a bunch of like DS commercials that that didn't have to take that route before, so it's you know they they've had you know commercials with female celebrities for a long time, you know, and predating uh, these ones where I'm not a gamer, but and those didn't have to take that tack. They those didn't have to like say that and you know slap a label on it. They just showed you know Nicole Kidman playing a game, you know. In a weird way, it would have caused girls to buy more games if you see, like, you know, a celebrity they like playing a game and being like, look, it's not just for nerds. Then you get the people playing, you know, paying the big bucks for the more popular games instead of just, you know, a cooking game or, you know. <laughs> I think I think that was really unfortunate messaging, but that's just my... <laughs> I want to point out one major flaw with this video was when he was talking about the Zelda games, he said there were no Zelda games where you play a Zelda. Well, there, uh... No, there no, is, no mainline. I know if you want to nitpick, there's the the 3D games, right? There's want of ga- uh, not excuse, 3D. What was it? CDI. CDI. Let's, you work you. on a Nintendo site. <laughs> Let's get our system straight here, Scott. No, I'm not too concerned with failed consoles. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, there was Zelda Want of Gamelon and Zelda's Adventure. So, I mean, if we're just gonna go by any Legend of Zelda game, there have been two. Well, she said mainline games. I mean, that is very nitpicky, and I would. I think she did say mainline. She did, yeah, and she said I the think same. She made the same distinction with Mario. Right. Yeah. Because technically, and, uh, yeah. Oh God, did you play Wand of Gamelon? There's a reason we try to like suppress that memory. <laughs> Those games are bad. Yeah, but um, let's let's talk about the video now since uh, we're bringing it up. I think um, I think it's uh definitely. You know, I, I feel like as a Nintendo fan, I, uh, I have to deal with the fact that the video used Nintendo games for its major examples. She used, like, the Mario series, she used the Zelda series, and then she started off with, uh, Star Fox Adventures, which was awesome and shocking to hear the history beyond, behind that, because I always knew it started off as Dinosaur Planet, and then, and then they decided to retool it into a Star Fox franchise vehicle. Which I always knew that part, but I but w- the way she framed it is just so amazing in the sense that it it really illustrated. Wait a second, you know th- there was originally a, a a a full female character here, and then you know she basically got put in suspended animation and became an 
the object. And and then even even her staff, that which was her symbol of power, they just gave that to Fox. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I, I love that it had the footage from the N64 game before, you know, it was eventually just remade for the, the GameCube to feature Star Fox. And just, yeah, the difference with, with her just taking charge and, and seeing her, you know, attacking and, and just, I mean, partaking in the quest. And then it cuts to Star Fox Adventure, and there she is just trapped in a crystal, and Fox is, like, talking about how hot she is, like, <laughs> basically sealed away. Um, going back, um, sorry, going back to the point about be- dealing with it as a Nintendo fan, uh, another reason I could see why they took, why she took down the YouTube comments is I know that Nintendo fanboys and fanboys in general, they don't want the, the idea of something in like Zelda or in Mario or even in Star Fox of not being absolutely perfect Someone saying that not everything about that game is perfect really gets them upset. Right. I of mean, course. that really... And by really them, we mean them. me or other things. Yeah, we. it's, again, it, there's that sense of, like, you know, this is really a part of our childhood. This is something we're passionate about. And there's also a sense of, like, we are a minority. I mean, not only are we gamers, but we're, we're Nintendo gamers, so even... You know, the mainstream gaming culture is moving away from us, it feels like. Or maybe just me. I don't know. But, um, I, 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 there's a, there's a, it is a bit of a sensitive area. And I had to, like, work through that. And, in fact, you know, the fact that, you know, she acts specifically, you know, um, talks about how Miyamoto was, uh, a principal force in changing, uh, Star Fox Adventures. Right was really, was really, um, you know, was really, uh, I really had to think about that. And actually, when I was first watching the video, I had to stop it after that Star Fox Adventures thing, because my brother and I got in, like, this heated discussion about it. (laughs) So. I just wanted to, at that point, when she was talking about Miyamoto, I was like, girl, don't talk about Shiggy that way. And I was just really... (laughs) Like, seriously, I, I don't like hearing Miyamoto talked about like that. Like, show a little respect. <laughs> but, I mean, you get her point, don't you? Yeah. But she's making, well, I, she's saying bad things about Miyamoto. Well, here's the thing. I Here's the thing. I think she isn't saying bad things about Miyamoto. I, I, I feel like this first uh, video was, you know, uh, very, very historical and very, like, okay, this is just the facts of what happened. And I don't think it's really, and I think that's why I like the idea of her exploring patterns, tropes. She's not saying that these things are all sexist or these things are all, you know, anti-feminism. No, she's just saying, look, here's a, here's a trope, which is basically a pattern of, you know, uh, of a story pattern or uh, a character pattern. And she's just saying, look at how many times it's used. And look at how prevalent it is. I I really don't think, like, a damsel in distress would be a problem if it was just one thing in a diverse uh, set of stories. If it was just one tool that some stories used and some stories didn't. But I think her point is that, you know, I mean, people aren't consciously uh, chasing, uh, trying to perpetuate this, but the fact that it's their go-to vehicle is is a little problematic. The fact that we started using it with Donkey Kong and it's never changed and, you know, and all other, and it's been picked up everywhere, you know, it's a little sad because now we're not talking about other things. We just keep falling back on that same old one. 
So I feel like it isn't really about blame. I think it's just about can we break, you know, the cycle and can we use different things because we've been overusing this one thing. Right. Yeah. I don't think she's saying he's he's bad or he's wrong or he's doing it on purpose. I, I think the idea of using Miyamoto as the example is to be shocking to you and to kind of make you open your eyes to it. And um, yeah, just just appreciate the the conversation and realize that I mean, even who we consider the good guys could be perpetuating something that may be harmful. You know, and and not I I would say not purposely. I, I doubt Miyamoto has an agenda against women. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, yeah. With Star Fox, with Star Fox, she even said like, "Well, he joked about it." He she didn't say like he was you know hardcore. No, we need this in my game. He just said, "Oh, she joked that this would fit in his game," and other people went forward with it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you mean she like? I mean, you already mentioned again, but she does say you know she likes these games. You don't have to not like these games now, but it's just to like you said, Carmen, just recognize a pattern and. Recognize how that's reverberated through video game culture. I mean, just we've had these modern games since the NES, or I mean, even if we want to look at Donkey Kong for what over thirty years now, I guess. And a lot of games rely on this crutch of rescuing women who can't fend for themselves. I guess. Yeah, and um, I think going back to something you said, uh, Scott, it's I think uh, I think I'm a little bit proud actually of the fact that she used Nintendo games. As, ex- as major examples, because I feel like you have, if you're going to do something this controversial, you need to have a game where no one can question the other aspects of it. You know, because if you use any random game, you know, then it's like, oh, that's just this niche game, or that's just this one-time game, or that's not even a good game, you know. But by using a Nintendo game, you, you say, you know, this is universally accepted as, as, uh, as, a video game experience that people share, that people consider, you know, to be quality. So this is something that everyone can connect to. And there's a bit of, so even though I'm like a little scared she's using Nintendo games, I also at the same time I'm proud of the fact that, you know, she's using Nintendo games because Nintendo, you can't really criticize Super Mario Galaxy on any other thing. So you can just focus on, you know, what, uh, what the female's role is in that game. There's no chance for, like, uh, being distracted by other discussions. Sure, yeah. If she had just opened up with, like, let's talk about Duke Nukem. Well, I mean, oh. I, I feel like a lot of people <laughs> were like, of course, Duke Nukem. Like, yeah, everyone knows that game's, you know, stupid or sexist. And then, but right, but using these examples, I mean, like, like I kind of pointed to with the, the literary element. I mean, you have these canonical works that are, like, revered, but you can really break them down and, and point out these flaws. And it doesn't make them bad, but it just opens up a new discussion and then opens up a new, like, context uh, of appreciating them or talking about them, so. Um, I thought, I think this topic is going to come up as the future videos um, are released, but I think a lot of people are going to bring up the idea that, well, if it was in reverse, like it was, if it was always women saving men, that, then we, she wouldn't be complaining. But I think, like, that argument is just stupid because it's not that way. And I'm pretty sure we're going to start hearing stuff like that. Like, oh, you hear the argument that, like, oh, well, they have men with big muscles and stuff. And it's just not the same thing. Like, what what they show with women and what they show with men. It's not the same thing because it just doesn't happen the same way. And the men with big muscles, that's still an effort to, like, empower male players. You know, they see themselves as that player. Whereas, like, women in captivity or overly sexualized women are also to attract male players, I would argue. So, yeah, it doesn't really work. 
even when the women are, you know, the heroes, they're not, you know, super muscly or anything. Even if they're like straight up punching a guy and stuff, they still have very wispy figures that they probably wouldn't be able to do those things in real life, but they still have to be attractive for the male audience that are playing as them. Well, here's, uh, I just wanted to ask you guys how you like responded to like the, the Princess Peach being like how she, uh, demonstrated her being objectified because there was that one scene in the video where she says essentially the the damsel in distress is turned into a ball passed between the two players and then they get to she gets to show the exact thing of princess peach stuck in like this this crystal ball and mario's trying to save when bowser's got her and it's just so iconic and shocking to see and especially since i it's weird i choose princess peach almost every time i get in like mario party and Cart and even in Super Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario Brothers uh, Two, you know she was my favorite character. So it's 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 shocking to see the the pattern play itself over and over again in the mainline. And although I haven't played, I have not played uh, Super Princess Peach's Adventure, so I can't speak to that game. Yeah, which it looks like she's going to talk about that game in a little bit. Because from what I, I, I never played that game either, but from what I understand, it's kind of not, not much better. <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard. Women. It's a shame uh, because yeah. it's, it is a character everyone knows and people pick a lot of times. And she's really the perfect subject to have her own game. And then, of course, when they make a game, it's hearts, pink, everything. And yeah, she is all about pink, but there's a such thing as balance here and all <laughs> aren't like her game. powers are her powers derived from like her emotions yeah like I if she so. cries she does something or if she gets happy like really stupid stuff like that yeah i feel like at some point princess peach would just be like you know i'm kind of sick of all this <laughs> and actually fight back but you know she can only fight with her emotions and it's weird i mean anita kind of talks about it but like there's this weird divide because she's empowered in other games i mean mario party not so much but like things like mario kart the sports mario game smash brothers like i mean she's she's fleshed out or maybe even something like uh super mario rpg where she's a playable character in your party i mean she's kidnapped but then like that's resolved within the first third of, or half of the game and then like you know, that trope is gone, and now she's actually a part of your party, and you're doing something completely different for a Mario game, um, which is great. Um, but yeah, I don't know why in the mainline games. I was thinking, even before I watched the video, actually, a couple months ago, I was thinking about Princess Peach always being stolen, and how great it'd be if, you know, she wasn't. And I was thinking about the upcoming uh, Luigi downloadable content for New Super Mario Bros. U, and how great that would have been if they could have gotten ahead of this video and just been like, yeah, this summer we're going to release an expansion pack for New Super Mario Bros. U, and it's Princess Peach. Like, you play all these levels as, <laughs> as Peach. I mean, that would have been awesome instead of oh, Luigi. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> it's surprising when they have characters you pick, and then there's, like, two toads, and you're like, but you had four spots. Why didn't you just stick Peach in there? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I, I was so shocked when they did that the first time. Because I was so excited to play Peach again, finally. Yeah, and and I don't know. I I do feel like there's a certain pattern of not trying to uh, change up the mainline series, and I don't know how I feel about that. Because sometimes I feel like this is the mainline series, and there has to be a certain sort of archetypal simplicity to it. Because the store, I I mean. On the other side of the fence, the story, Mario is not really about, you know, the Mario series is not really about saving the princess. It's really just, uh, I, I'm, I'm not, 
I guess it isn't a full defense, but it's really not about that. And it's really just, it, it, well, the Zelda series, I think, is more iconic because it's really about, I feel like Zelda's just more about the archetype of the hero, the princess, the big bad guy, you know, and it keeps playing out the same way. I think there's something a little bit beautiful about the fact that Zelda, that each Zelda is almost like a remake of another Zelda. So it's always about the same core thing. And there are certain, I, I have to admit, there are certain things I don't want to change. Like, I don't want to see the damsel in distress trope go away completely for all of these. And, you know, I'd be excited to see Zelda as, I'd be excited to see Link be female, actually. I think I've uh, stated so on the forums before. I think that's an exciting idea, but I still think it should somehow fit into the archetype of, you know, um, there's a hero, you know, there's a force of good, which is the princess, and then there's a force of evil, which is Ganon. There's the courage, wisdom, power set up, and I don't know. It's 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 a bit weird. I don't know if that just if that means I sympathize a little with the with the defensiveness that comes with that. Uh, well, I was gonna say like I feel it is all about balance. I don't think the damsel in distress should go away because, I mean, for guys, I mean obviously there's a satisfaction of like you know saving the girl. I mean, and in real life, girls do get in trouble sometimes, same as guys, so it's silly to make it all go away. That's not the answer, but it is about balance. I think that was the most shocking thing was how many games follow the trope just because they didn't want to, you know, think about a better goal. Um, I think one thing I think she went a little too far with was saying that on most, she said, I don't know if I'm saying this wrong, but she kind of said they all objectified the women. Like, she kind of used a total, like, like blanket term to say, yeah, to say that all the guys were trying to save the girl because it's the object they want to save. And in Zelda, like, they're Link and Zelda are friends. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, was he not supposed to save her because it's objectifying her? Like, no, he wants to save the princess that he knows. Especially, you know, in um, I think it was like Skyward Swords. They they've known each other since they were children, and he's supposed to ignore her. Like, there's it's not always objectification. You know, there are reasons to be saving someone, and sometimes people are in trouble. Um, well, well, in Mario, like Super Mario 64, the reason isn't really, like, he wants to save Princess Peach. The reason is he was promised a cake, and he still wants the cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so, yeah. in this case, the cake is being objectified. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's the other thing. It was, I have no problems with Peach being the damsel in distress for Mario because I kind of feel like she is, like, the quintessential, you know, like, kind of ditzy, like, pink, you know, I'm just the damsel. Just, and it's it creates a great humor whenever you start the game and you're like, you know she's going to get kidnapped. And they always create hilarious, convoluted ways that she's going to be kidnapped and whatever reason for it. And I enjoy that. I think it's funny, you know. I just don't think all games should go the same direction. But I think it's working for Mario. <laughs> it it was so shocking when she's when she started going into the montage of games that have princesses and like Lolos up there and you know or or damsels in distresses and Lolos up there and it's just montage of game after game after game and it just goes to show that you know it's not it's not really one specific example that's bad it's the fact that it repeated itself so many times you know and another. Uh, I want to take a sort of a left turn here. Something I liked about the video was the fact that she put it in such a historical, like, context here. Like, she didn't talk about just video games. She talked about 
the damsel in distress trope, and it's used in, you know, uh, it's used in, like, ancient literature, ancient myth, all the way up to, um, you know, King Kong and Popeye. So it's not so much that video games created this trope, it's just that it's carrying it on. And I think that's, I'm hoping that it feels like she has that sort of level of, I don't know, because I do still feel a little defensive. Um, especially if you watch some of her earlier works on movies, she had a, a little bit more aggressive tone there. So I was really happy to see this video because I didn't feel that she was, you know, specifically going out and, you know, um, trying to be aggressive and trying to be confrontational because, uh, some of the other, some of, if you've watched some of her previous YouTube videos, they're a little bit more on the sharp side. But um, I like this one because, again, I don't think it's about laying blame. I think it's just about realizing there's a pattern, and then once you realize it, being able to try and change it. Yeah, I think with the the negativity surrounding the Kickstarter and now the the funding that she has, I think there was a little more impetus to to be more calm and collected and just, I mean, basically do the best and most thorough job she could to just. I mean, shut people up, really. I mean, to say it, you know, to just say it blatantly like that, I think that was mm-hmm. the goal here, you know. That she had such a bigger spotlight on her now that it wouldn't have done any good to go out and be a little bit more, I don't know, forward or uh, or maybe aggressive with her um, her approach. And I think it works. I mean, like you're saying, Carmen, I mean, she basically, I mean, she goes through everything with, with like, a historical context. And by the end of it, I mean, you see her point, yeah, whether or not you agree with it or not, but you can't argue that it's, like, ill-founded or just flat-out wrong, you know, that she's making something up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, def- well, I, I, that's definitely why I'm I ex- why it, it's okay with me that she took, like, nine months from the Kickstarter and told out to start her video series, because I was, like, really waiting for it, but I, she really had to do a lot of research, and with... Uh, the money she was able to raise, she was actually able to turn this into a full-time thing, apparently, and, like, hire on, like, a dedicated researcher to help her with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, she, she like, created an instant backlog with the amount of games she had to buy and research <laughs> for this. You know, I mean, I think, I think I'm, I've got a, we've, I've got a pretty big backlog, but she went out and bought, like, 600 games or something like that so that she could get all these examples or something. Well, I mean, it, but it shows. It's very thorough, and I appreciate that. I, I, I guess on the Mario front, um, you came. I know you were saying that you're, you're fine with the princess being the, the damsel of distress, but at this point, I mean, do do we even really care about why Mario's going through levels? Like, I, I would happily play a Mario game just to play the levels. I don't need to see the yes. princess get stolen and then, like, to see her get released from a cage at the end anymore. Like, she can play alongside Mario, or she could just not be there at all. Like, that would be fine, too. Like, let's just... Let's just get to the levels. I mean, at this point, it's so arbitrary to just have this, you know, one-minute opening cinematic of Bowser stealing Peach away. I mean, I understand, not that I support it, but in the 3D games, they they are a little bit more fleshed out with story. But, like, in all the new Super Mario games, I mean, it's just it's just silly at this point. It's like satire of itself. It could easily go away. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I do think, you know, the intro things are funny. I- didn't say they're necessary to the actual game because I sure completely forget what the hell I'm doing when I'm trying to you know <laughs> jump over things and like fly off of platforms. Right. Um, but I think they also she also made a good point when she said you know when men are captured they escape because you know you're the hero and you're trying to pick the lock or you're sneaking out. Um, but then the girls don't. And I guess 
you know, if it's going to be applied anywhere, maybe Princess Peach could actually try to get out of there for once. Yeah. You know, and can meet Mario somewhere or at least try something. It's kind of silly when you see a lot of games where the girls just sit there. And it's like, really? You didn't you didn't want to check that lock one more time? You, didn't, <laughs> you can't squirm through those bars? <laughs> I think, I yeah. I think that's a slight variation on the damsel in distress thing. I think Peach sort of does that in some of the Paper Mario games. You get playable portions for her. A little bit. So, but again, that's not a mainstream Mario game, so it's they're, they're a little bit more experimental outside of the main line, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, this brings us back to, like, Dinosaur Island. Uh, I mean, you were saying about how the female characters never escape for themselves, but um, we don't get a lot of strong female main characters. I mean, like, there's no one as badass... There's no female character that's as badass as, like, Solid Snake. Joanna Doug, sir. Joanna Doug in the original N64, okay? Yep, that's true, yeah. Or, you know, there's there's Samus. And not, and not, and not the Joanna Doug from Perfect Doug Zero. (laughs) That was horrible. That made me so sad. I am, I am... Oh God! You know that was horrible. As as one example, that I mean, it doesn't change anything. But one example I thought of watching the video about the you know men in in captivity, how they always escape, was um Chrono Trigger, where early on in the game, when you're thrown in prison, you can escape, but if you can't figure out how to do it, eventually um, Luca, a female character, breaks into the prison and rescues you, um, which I think is pretty great. Yeah, so doesn't really change anything, but just just one kind of inter- interesting example of how male characters don't always escape, and, and the female rescuing the male character. She might even joke about him being the damsel in distress. Honestly, <laughs> I, I can't remember, but there might there might really be dialogue about that. So, I th- I th- I do think there's like examples out there where where they've 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 gone beyond, and you know they can play with it, and they're they're not just tied to the damsel in distress. And that's I think that's one of her bonus videos too. Eventually. Uh, she's going to do a video where she says, okay, I've talked about all the games that, you know, have fit these tropes, but here are, here are some great examples of games that, you know, go beyond that and uh, offer more full characterizations. So I'm looking forward to that video. Yeah, and it would also be nice if she, you know, addressed, like, her counter-arguments, because it's one thing to bring up an issue, but if you're only saying your point of view, you know, no matter how much research you've done into it, people who or are already, like, close to the idea, aren't going to, you know, they're just not going to listen. And I feel like it would be nice if she had something that addressed how other people might be feeling, and, you know, maybe that would open more ears to what she's saying. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, it, it, is it, it's, I think she is going to create a video, like, the top ten defenses mm-hmm. of this, and then her responses to it, I think. Yeah. So I think that was one of the stretch goals on the Kickstarter. That's good, because, yeah, I mean, it's not that, you know, obviously things do exist that are against her argument, but, you know, it's people just need to see how maybe something they're thinking is flawed or maybe, you know, how another person's viewpoint of it, because while it's not offensive to one person, they don't always like thinking about how, you know, the other people on the other side have been affected. Yeah, and I think some issues are more complex. Like you said, Zach, like the people, or or was it Scott, how uh, males are, you know, uh, sort of uh, shown in the stereotype too, but it's it works differently. You know, it works differently because it's, it's empowering to them, and they still get to remain action characters in that sense. So I think it's definitely a complex thing, and that's probably why I 
I think she said there would be 12 videos, but now I'm getting the sense that since this is only part one, she's probably going to have to double her stuff because previously on her Kickstarter, there was one video to a trope, but already we have two videos for this trope. She unexpectedly had all the support and extra money, so she can expand. <laughs> Which is cool, yeah. So it's it's exciting, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of them. And um, as far as examples of, you know, the trope not being part of a game or the trope being broken, I, I hope people can look at those and say, oh, that's a great example of someone going outside the box, but don't think that that absolves the issue entirely. You know, like, you can say, oh, look at Beyond Good and Evil, you know, you've got a female protagonist, so obviously this whole argument is invalid because there have been, like, female leads before, strong female characters, and it just, it that's a, a needle in a haystack, really. So I hope people will, will look at it that way in an objective way, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. There'll be more videos coming out. Um, so I let's just... Uh... Go around the table and see if anyone has some last thoughts on what they hope from like to see more from this series or uh, how they feel about the subject. Uh, let's start with you, Kim. Um, you know, I think she's doing a great job, and I can't wait to see what else you know she has to say. It's, I mean, for me, it's it's really all about balance in the video game world. You know, you can't fight something this complex just by advocating just completely for the opposite. That's not a solution either. Um, then we'd have a opposite solution, I an mean, opposite problem. But I love where this is going, and I like, you know, the balance she's giving it. Zach? Uh, I'm interested in seeing more. I mean, I kind of felt the video was kind of boring, not because it was about... <laughs> no, I just thought it was kind of dry, just her talking. Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, it was it was half a video, because she still has, like, another video on this topic. True. I guess you, She's going to, like, further talk about it, actually. I guess you can make the argument that we'd be going back to the stereotype if she was... Uh, showed more of her body and dressed up in something attractive that I'd like it more. But uh, I don't know. I don't think she has to do that either. The entertainment value isn't quite there. It's it's a little bit of an academic-like lesson, isn't it? Yeah. and Because she's taking you, oh, and then we have Perseus or Theseus or whoever it was, Perseus, I think. And he saves Andromeda. Yeah, and uh, Carmine, make me a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a, uh, I think I have um, America's, I have one of those uh, cooking games on the DS around here somewhere. Good enough. <laughs> That'll be awesome. <laughs> and uh, Scott. Um, yeah, I thought the, the first video was great. I, I think this is a really uh, great idea, and it's, uh, I think, important for people to, uh, I don't know, for, for fans of video games to sort of grow up in a way and realize that these discussions aren't threatening. I mean, it's not like there needs to be a wholesale change. It's just recognizing that these things can be discussed and you can accept that. I mean, this isn't like a perfect medium, that maybe there are some changes, um, you know, in the culture surrounding video games that could be made. So I, I, I love it and I'm excited for more. And I, relatedly, I love that, what was it, this week or last week we had the video of the dad who hacked Donkey Kong so his daughter could play as Pauline rescuing Mario. Oh, yeah. Like, relatedly, I, I don't know if, she, if she'll mention that. I don't know when this first video was actually produced. I'm assuming well ahead of when that happened, but I, I hope she talks about that. And I think that's so great, and, and we just need more things like that. In fact, uh, I think I recently read somebody did the same thing to the first Zelda, where you can play as Princess Zelda uh, for the NES version and then save Link. That's cool, yeah. 
Though they wouldn't have to do that if they just got a CDI and played. <laughs> You're right. Play those classic Zelda games on the CDI. Oh, you had to bring that back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, um, I'm really excited for the rest of the series. I mean, my, my the hair on like the back of my neck stands on end when she, whenever she mentions Miyamoto. <laughs> so it's it's I. And so I do have that defensiveness in me, but I loved this first video because I felt that it was, you know, sort of, it it was sort of like taking the big picture look at it, and it was really establishing the pattern. And I think that's what's important. So I'm I'm excited to see the rest and to have more discussions like this because, you know, it's, uh, it's an exciting time. And I like to think of the video games as like this really exciting place to be. So, uh... Yeah, I'm. Let's all get back together and talk about this sometime again. Okay, thanks everyone for coming. Bye. And that will do it for episode 78 of Connectivity. As always, you can send us listener mail to connectivity at nintendoreport.com. Uh, if you get a chance to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be awesome. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. Go to NintendoReport.com. Look for the Twitter sidebar on the right side of the page. You can find all of our usernames there. And uh, if you're going to be in Boston this weekend for PAX, be sure to come see us uh, Sunday at 11.30 a.m. for a game of Who Wants to Be a Nintendo Air. We'll see you guys next week.